0: and a pleasant good evening Mets fans and welcome back to the pleasant good evening podcast episode 49 we are rapidly approaching the 50 mark and our one-year anniversary on pge sam levowitz and jack hendon here on the episode today where we are going to uh break down everything that's been going on and folks we really don't enjoy coming on every single week and being like man everything stinks huh but like a lot of stuff stinks right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had our wonderful sidearming friend, Tom Hackamer, on the podcast a week ago. Uh, and as a result, because of his recording schedule, didn't really get to eulogize the uh, sweep that the Phillies laid upon us last weekend. Um, obviously, knocked us out of first place, so uh, that happened. And then they came out and they swept – the nationals in three games, including a walk-off home run by Pete Alonzo. That was real fun. I, I, I suppose. Um, and of course, taking that momentum into a series against the reigning world champs at home, where the Dodgers have slapped us around silly the past few years, I believe heading into the series, the Dodgers had won 18 of their last 22 at City field. And, uh, At time of recording, it looks like we're headed for a sweep. Um, It's currently 9 to 4. So we're thinking it's probably going to be a sweep. And uh, has not been a particularly fun series outside of uh, a couple of fun moments. But, you know, Jack, I'm curious to know your thoughts because things are a little bit bleak right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I hate it. Honestly, I hate it the past like three weeks uh have been a lot like that you know that like this is me like just jack just like throwing a meme a a culture meme out there and hoping that someone picks it up but like if anyone watches spongebob i don't remember the episode but it's like that clip of like plankton like just falling into the void and screaming and that goes on for like 10 seconds and then he stops to take the drink and for us that would be the equivalent um Having Hack on the pod in the middle of the deadline sucking, the Kumar thing falling through, the team continuing to underperform. We basically like took our drink and had a really cool dude on. And you know, a lot of thanks to him again. If you haven't listened to that, uh, please consider it. I mean, it's just even if you don't really like us, Tom Hackamer is just a really like cool dude and um has a lot of really cool insights. But you know, as soon as we stop with that drink and we turn the game back on, it's just like
0: it, more it, continuous yelling.
1: More, I mean, literally as we're speaking, Jonathan VR just got punched down on three pitches. The Mets somehow have four runs tonight. They're o for their last nineteen. Sorry, check that o for their last twenty with runners in scoring position. Right, like I mean, this is just it, it's it's pathetic. That's really, I think, like the the strongest word I can use, and I think it's something that. I've just been saying to myself like each of these games like watching some of these at-bats uh having to deal with some of these like managerial decisions some of these calls reading lineup cards like reading quotes after the game it's just like I legitimately like if this season ends um you know and they don't make the playoffs I'm honestly like grateful that I don't need to endure any more any more like hours of this stuff because it's just like it's it, it, it makes me like hate the sport. It, it, it's totally not what I signed up for. It's not what I think anyone believed was on tap for this season. Um, it's, you know, when the pitchers pitch, the hitters aren't hitting when the hitters are hitting, the pitchers are overworked and they're and they're suffering. And it's, you know, and then every once in a while, it seems like a decision gets made. Um, about who's going to come in to pitch or who's going to start and not start um, and or someone gets hurt uh, which is out of everyone's control and it, it, it as a fan it, it leaves you wondering if anything that you invest is really worth it uh, that's kind of a dark uh, space for me to just open up for everyone but like that's honestly how I feel like this game is even if this game weren't being broadcast on espn i would still feel extremely hollow talking about all of this like it just it it, it's pathetic
0: yeah they're getting embarrassed like it's it's really difficult to like actually put in perspective just how frustrating the series has been and how deflating it's been yeah um
1: you want to like walk it back like game by game. Like we just start with Friday. Cause I feel like after that sweep, like, I don't know. I mean, I know that the Dodgers are a lot better than the nationals, but also when you come off of a sweep at home and you're still at home, like, you know, and then they have the seventh inning that they had and it's just like, how do you just like, like go right to sleep? You know, like it started with the lineup card. That was the thing. I think the Friday night lineup, um, I don't know whose decision that was because front offices now more than ever, I think, sign off on that. Uh, Batting Kevin Pillar and Albert Almora back to back uh, in any lineup, in any scenario is pretty like indefensible. Uh, Doing it against a left-handed pitcher is still indefensible. When you realize that Julio Arias has reverse splits and is actually worse against left-handed batters and you sat Dom Smith, who's like their second best hitter on the team against lefties, if not the best hitter, like he's batting 343 against left-handed pitching this year and you sit him down. Why? Really like what's, like point out like on the board, on the sheet, on whatever, you know, like set of gears you're using to, to come to that decision, like where that makes any sense at all. Like you basically have admitted that the first six innings of your game at least your first six innings of the game, because that was assuming Arias didn't just shut the team out altogether, which the Mets were begging them to with that lineup. It's all assuming those first six innings don't matter because as soon as they started bringing in actual guys, they started scoring runs. Like as soon as Dom came off the bench and Conforto came off the bench and McNeil came off the bench, how do you bench the three of them for one game against like the best team you've played in weeks? How do they all sit on the bench the first game of that series? Who does th- who does that
0: I I don't know I don't know uh this, tea, this offense this offense is is beleaguered and it's been all year I, I've been talking about this for days I feel like it's this offense has underperformed all season and I'm at my wits end with it I don't have an explanation for it it is confusing the hell out of me because this was one of the top offenses in Major League Baseball last year. And on paper, they got better personnel-wise. You added Lindor, and you added like a better catcher, someone who should have been a better catcher, you would imagine, than Wilson Ramos, uh, to the mix, to a starting lineup that was anchored by Michael Conforto's best stretch that we've seen from him in a while, uh a legitimately great breakout by dom smith in which he was near the top of all of major league baseball and slugging percentage And now that power is dissipated uh it was like this contingent on paper looks like a really good offensive unit and all that talk was like before the season it was like they're gonna score a lot of runs um but do they have enough pitching behind Degrom? you know they're going to score a lot of runs, you know. That's why putting out putting Dom Smith out in left field is worth it, even though it's going to sacrifice some defense. Like, it's okay that we didn't sign Springer because they're still going to score lots of runs. It's fine. Just repurpose that money for, for you know for pitching. What else? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, just go get Trevor Bauer or whatever. Which right. I don't have the time for today. But you know, yeah. I don't yeah. know what they were doing that whole yeah. off season. Oh, with embarrassing.
0: Um, yeah. And I'm just, it's it's mind boggling. It's so confusing. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, I think. It's like there's no punch. Other teams at least make loud outs. The Mets don't make loud outs. The Mets, I feel like they must hit into more routine outs than any quote-unquote contender I've ever seen. Yeah. There's. It's like startling how few hard-hit balls they hit. It's, it's startling how few mistakes they punish. It feels like Pete Alonso is the only guy in this lineup who's capable of hitting the ball out of the ballpark with any level of consistency. I I don't get it. I don't get it. I I would like someone who is smarter than me, and I know there's people out there who are. I would like someone who's smarter than me to explain why the Mets went from one of the best offenses in baseball last season um, to one of the worst offenses in baseball. In fact, the worst offense in terms of runs per game in baseball this season with largely the same contingent and better talent around them. Yeah, with them. I think that
1: the two arguments that I've heard the most this weekend, uh, one of which pertains to the, the season-wide issue of the team not scoring and the other pertains to this series in particular in which they aren't scoring, the former is the fact that everybody gets hurt. That this group of hitters hasn't really had like ample time together to hit which I mean like sure when you look at the fact that like Pete Alonzo is pretty much the only well yeah Alonzo has played the most of anybody that's presently in this lineup he missed the least time with his injury um but I mean, we've seen what James McCann looks like when he can hit. We've seen what Michael Conforto looks like when he can hit because he's doing it now. Every time a guy hits, the other six people and then whoever, I guess, is like playing short now, they don't hit. They disappear. Like we saw this at the beginning of the second half when J.D. Davis was hitting the cover off the ball. And between McNeil, Conforto and Smith, nobody was getting anything done. It's been a very similar narrative across the entire season and maybe it's like McNeil that starts to hit and then Davis isn't hitting anymore or maybe Smith starts to hit and like Nimmo just has a series where like all he does is draw walks he doesn't put anything out of the infield it's like that can't fly that you know Alonzo is guilty of this too as much as we appreciate that he's played and 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 been like I think the the voice that has tried to calm us down through all this like those quotes he gave after Philadelphia which like, I don't know, on one hand, they were nice. On the other, they were kind of confusing. But it's like, you know, you're a team. Like, you are good hitters. That We shouldn't be waiting for, like, every single gear to be in place for someone like Brandon Nimmo. Well, I guess that's not a fair example because he's probably been consistent. But for someone like Jeff McNeil, who every year had hit well, to start hitting, like, why isn't he putting – he's wasted so many at-bats in this series – And, you know, the other excuse, the latter excuse is that, well, the Dodgers are very good pitchers. This team has some very good hitters, too. This is not like this is it's no longer like 2015, where like you had maybe like Lucas Duda every couple of weeks hitting. And then Curtis Granderson was carrying you out of the leadoff spot. And then everyone else was kind of give or take between like Darno and Flores. Like this is a much better offensive team. I really don't care how good Max Scherzer is, this is an offense that we were told was going to hit, that we were all convinced was going to hit. It doesn't, like, that. That that that's a losing attitude, I feel. And it's it goes into, I think, a larger narrative that surrounded this series. And I, I'm fortunate enough that I haven't heard that much of it. But, you know, because you're on Twitter enough, you get some of it. Like, this idea that these are moral victories because they hang in there with a very good team. Why would you lock up Francisco Lindor for 10 years and sign James McCann and sign Trevor May and make every, you know, and go after Javi Baez and make every statement imaginable that you intend to compete and win this division if when you lose a game to another playoff team it's just a moral victory. You can't move those goalposts. You put this team on the field to beat the Dodgers. They are getting embarrassed by the Dodgers as we speak. Jeff Hartley is pitching the 8th inning as we speak. He just threw a freaking wild pitch. This is not a moral victory. This is embarrassing. There's no excusing this. There's no waiting anymore. It's August 15th. Why aren't they doing it? Like this is just and there're 10 more games, 9 more games of this when they get on the road. Like like I I just you know you can take this all the way to the grave this team will finish 83 and 79 if they continue hitting this way and that's assuming the pitching keeps it together
0: and that might be generous
1: yeah that might be they're generous about to, they're, they're about over right now they're one they're going to be one over by the time this is done like you know you you, you should never have i think rested on your laurels on the idea that you could be better than the Phillies and the Braves, because we know we didn't need, we didn't know the giants were going to be good. We absolutely knew that we would have to deal with one of the Dodgers or the Padres, if we wanted to deal with winning a pennant, and then you have to beat an American league team. And like, this group can't do it. I, you know, I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope things change in the next month. I'm not saying the season's over, but against a good team, I've seen it through three games and I've seen it before against worse teams for that matter. The team is not doing it. they're not getting it done.
0: The team's been crap for like three or four weeks now and it's
1: man I and that and then we got the manager. I mean I you know I'm I've been I think lighter on Luis Rojas than a lot of other fans have been because you know of injuries and because of circumstances because some days, The starting pitchers just cannot get through the sixth inning. And, you know, that, that time with relief pitchers adds up. And eventually you have a game where like, you need to just throw Yancy Diaz at the wall for three innings. Like I get it. It's not a very like easy job if you're Luis Rojas, but in competitive circumstances, yesterday the day before and even today because the second inning you're still trying to win a game like why was carlos carrasco batting in the second inning if you were going to pull him in the third that was a why weird one. was why is you know why is jerry's Familia pitching a third day in a row when aaron loop had worked once in like eight days and was sitting in the pen like why aren't you prepared and up to speed to manage those kinds of scenarios
0: why is why is yancy diaz the guy in the 10th inning when you just had a quick inning out of lugo and he's a guy that you know can go two innings and like yeah. what what rojas said post game on that one was like uh he threw two pit he threw two innings like in his last outing two days ago uh so we didn't want to have him go to this time um but apparently trevor may was apparently unavailable for the second straight day um. Yeah,
1: I can't wait to hear what the the diagnosis on that is. Drew Smith's already gone, so you know, yeah.
0: Um, it's good news. It's so bleak, man. <laughs> it's I. I don't. I don't know. So. It's been like this since Degrom and Lindor went down, like officially down. Obviously, Degrom had, had his minor crap that he dealt with, but it's been like this since both of those guys went actually down for considerable amounts of time. And I wonder how demoralizing that is to the roster that these are the two most important pieces on the team and they are the two most important pieces on the team. I think you and I can both agree on that. Yeah. That Lindor is not only the he's the captain of the infield, he's pretty much the captain of the team. He's taken that role um where he's the guy who um just kind of takes that responsibility and will chat with whoever he needs to chat to, whether it's the media or, the, or his teammates about whatever important thing is going on. He's the guy who puts his arm around the pitchers when they're struggling on the mound. And DeGrom is obviously the best at, he may be the best at his job on the planet out of anyone who has a job anywhere. Yeah. So those are the two most important guys on this roster. And when they go down, It's a talented roster, and they look around at each other. The reaction's got to be, all right, let's pick ourselves up here. Like, we can do this without them. We can do it with them. We can do it without them. This is a talented group of guys. But it appears, and I apologize for the cat in the background. I'm sure you can hear him. Uh, It would appear that the reaction was... At least in terms of performance on the field, it was uh, ho hum. You know, woe is me. There, where what are we going to do without these guys? And man, it's they lost Javi too. They lost the replacement that they traded for for Lindor um, to back spasms. So who knows how long that's going to keep him out for? And Degrom keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. We're going to talk injuries more later. And, and Lindor isn't really on the on the doorstep yet. And it is just it is just re- remarkably demoralizing yeah. that it does not feel like things are going to get better, especially not over this stretch because they're going to go to San Francisco on Monday exhausted because they're getting on a plane after this Sunday night game. Whoever scheduled that is a dickhead. Um, like I understand ratings and all that. And this is a match between a world champion team. and a,
1: What about my feelings? <sighs>
0: It's a world champion team and a New York team, so I get the ratings play a factor, uh, and ESPN wants those ratings. But from a logic standpoint, it makes absolutely no sense to have the Mets play a night game, then hop on a plane and play the next day in San Francisco. Ha- makes absolutely no sense. So they're going to show up tired, and they're going to drag their feet at Oracle Park on Monday night, and they'll probably lose 6-1 to one, uh, because that's just the way things go. Um, and then they, you know, have still after that have nine more to play against both the Giants and the Dodgers in this stretch, they needed to at least win six games out of these 13 to like stay afloat and oh, and three to start. And they haven't looked particularly, uh, positive. Like there's no real reasons to hope that they're going to play any better other than the fact that really today. The way it went in this first inning, you know, against with Carrasco against the Dodgers, the first couple innings, it's like it, the only way really to go is up from here. That's like the only real positive takeaway I can take out of this is that I can't really play much worse than that, you know? I feel like we I've, I don't know, man. i we
1: definitely didn't say it on the pod because we were too busy like having a good time not paying attention to what was happening in Philly. But I definitely told myself a couple of times like it's not gonna get any worse. And, like it can't. It can't get more embarrassing than getting swept by the Phillies. But this is pretty embarrassing. It's not it's 12 to 4 now. Um it's it's pretty embarrassing. Uh they're pretty much like on the train tracks, like starfished, waiting for the train to come. Like this is kind of, this is kind of, somebody needs to get down there and I think do something. And it needs to be more than one hitter. Um, The good thing, I guess, the only positive that I can really take is that Tyler McGill, Marcus Stroman, and Taiwan Walker have all been pretty good lately. Walker looked really, really good on Saturday night. He threw six hit lists and then Will Smith continued his, his you know, scorched earth campaign on the, on, on the Mets pitching staff. But like Stroman looked really good on Thursday in that day cap against the Nationals. Um, McGill holding his own, like that I can consider a moral victory because McGill has never pitched to a team like the Dodgers before. And he held them to two runs over four – more than four innings. It was five innings. But, you know, they – they there's something, I think, there that you can work with. Now, as far as what happens when, like, Rich Hill pitches or when they inevitably go back to, like, Trevor Williams at some point, I don't know because these are good teams. And it takes a whole pitching staff to, like, you know, crack this. Like, it's, it's, it's not a team positive, but it is – they're not all dead. It's, it's just a lot of them.
0: Yeah. I was there on, on Saturday night and great crowd, great atmosphere, kind of a shame that I was interspersed in the, the most populous Dodger fan section. Um, that was kind of annoying. Um, but Taiwan looked great. And once he got through six, I kind of looked around and I was like, okay, uh this is kind of real now maybe uh if you can get through six you can get through nine um and then of course the whole third time through the well the lineup bugaboo got to him and will smith happens to be really really good at hitting baseballs especially when they come out of the hand of mets pitchers yeah Mets uh,
1: right-handed pitchers not aaron loop we we didn't, we couldn't uh we couldn't figure that out we
0: we weren't able to find out yeah, but I just it was a it was a fun it was a it was a fun game. The, the crowd was in every pitch, into every pitch. I was into every pitch. I was on the edge of my seat for much of that game. And once it got even, it was like, oh man, like it wasn't even. He couldn't have even just given up a single. It like he had to give up a four hundred forty foot nuke. And at that point, I was like, yeah, they're not winning this game.
1: Yeah. Um, they didn't really get many. They got like one hit the rest of that game and it was a Travis or no, no, I'm I got, I got my games wrong. Like, don't
0: listen. Yeah. The Blankenhorn. Sit- that was single. Friday yeah.
1: when they put the rally on after that four run seventh, like Blankenhorn got a hit and got picked off and that was it.
0: You know. Yeah. The Mets didn't really muster much against the Dodger bullpen anyways on, yeah. uh, on Saturday night and, and they couldn't get the ghost runner even to third base in the 10th inning. Um,
1: pathetic like again like that's that's pathetic
0: yeah two strikeouts against phil bickford
1: phil big bird
0: bill fickford
1: dude looks like big bird oh god
0: um i had i had a good time up until like the eighth inning though so that was fine um then it got kind of incredibly frustrating and i was in a real sour mood can you believe that
1: as as soon as those keys from piano men ended the gates of hell opened is what pretty much Yeah, um, that's how it usually I feel like that's like most of the experiences I have met. met games piano man is the absolute high and then you know, what, people, what
0: people was what was funny. Stuff. What was funny is that I tweeted before the game something about how like I was now at the ballpark to get heartbroken in person this time. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a total self fulfilling prophecy. And it turned yeah. out to be just like another heartbreaking loss like ho home like, mm-hmm. Par for the course, you know, and it's, it stinks because it's my last regular season at least game. Like if they make the playoffs, I'll come down from Syracuse to like go to a playoff game. But this is probably it for me at City Field in 2021. And it just leaves such a sour taste in my mouth, man. It just leaves such a sour taste in my mouth that I didn't get to really. Go out on a high note with my experiences at at the ballpark this year. Like 2019, I was at the Alonzo 53rd home run game. That was such a great way to finish the season. Uh, as a fan, like a spectator, and I had all oh, this long wait with the pandemic, couldn't go back to the stadium, and I get like a three to one win against the Rockies. I was there Tuesday, this past Tuesday, when Carrasco gave up the three run homer to Soto, and then we got rained mm-hmm. rained on. Um, That's terrible.
1: I mean, that's just a terrible
0: experience. It was pretty bad. Uh, and then I go Saturday and those are my three experiences at City Field uh, in, you know, this season, because I spent the summer in Syracuse. I usually make it to about a dozen or so games every season. I only made it to three and one of them doesn't even really count. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, say la vie, whatever. But uh, it's just, it's like a frustrating personal thing for me. Um I've seen more Syracuse Mets wins in person this year than I've seen New York Mets wins and the Syracuse Mets, sorry to hack, not very good.
1: They're a minor league team.
0: Yeah. They're a minor league team. I'm
1: not, they're, they're a minor league team. So
0: they've also been, they've been ravaged. Yeah. You know, I've seen more Brooklyn Cyclones. I've seen as many Brooklyn Cyclones games wins as I've seen Mets wins this year in person. That may be a little bit, that might actually be because they're good. I only went to one cycle team though.
1: We'll so. t- we could talk a little bit about them. I think in the latter part of this episode, that could be kind of fun. We got to figure that out because we, we don't really know where we're going from here. We don't know where the team's going from here or anything, but um, this may maybe a good place to move to the ads. And Should then, uh, that? yeah, That's yeah. That. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about these injury situations. We'll talk the road ahead. We'll talk what we expect from this team the rest of the season and what we hope to see done differently. We'll probably do a little bit of dissection of where things may have gone wrong. Um, Still trying to figure it out, but enjoy the ad. We'll be back.
0: Uh, All right, welcome back. Um, Hope you enjoyed my velvety voice for the 30 or 45 seconds or whatever it was. Um, I want to, like, re-record that. I've I've tried, like, looking for a way to re-record that ad, but I can't figure it out. It's whatever. Welcome back. We're still s- kind of sad about the Mets and uh, it's like, we don't want to do a post-mortem because obviously they're still above 500 and they're still only, you know, game and a half, two games out, two and a half, I guess at this point of a playoff spot, if they, you know, when this game goes final. Uh, so we don't want to do any of that. Stuff because theoretically they can go on a little streak and uh, crazier things have happened. Um, and they're still only, you know, only a couple of games out of the, the, the east, so we don't want to do a little season eulogy because it's not really time yet. Uh, although this feels like a situation in which we would want to ofi- officially cancel the season, um, but we're not gonna do that. What we are gonna do is just kind of talk about everything, um, uh, injury situation. And the the whole moving forward, where do we even go from here thing? Uh, Because, again, hate to keep saying things are bleak, but things are a little bleak. Uh, And we want to still keep it loose and fun for for y'all on on the podcast. Uh, You know, we like to look at ourselves as both realists, but also fun. Um, And it hasn't been a whole lot of fun the past few weeks uh, in terms of the content here on the podcast. Besides Hack, that was fun. If you guys want And Staff.
1: Staff was cool.
0: Yeah, but that was like before they started playing like shit. Yeah, Staff
1: may have actually been like the peak,
0: but yes. All right, so let's start with an injury update. We are not uh, really nearing a return of Francisco Lindor because he still has not yet taken swings left-handed. He says he's feeling much better, but because of the oblique strain being on his – like front side on his left-hand swing, he's still kind of nursing that and is, you know, I think they're nervous that if he swings left-handed, it's going to re-aggravate it. Um, He's running full speed. He is taking batting practice from the right side. He is fielding ground balls. Um, He is suiting up in full uniform out of boredom. Uh, He sounds sad when he sounded sad when they talked to him on the ESPN broadcast tonight. He just wants to get out there and the Mets are bringing a couple of non 40 man roster arms to San Francisco with them for the West coast trip, presumably to throw him live batting practice because Francisco keeps saying he wants to just hop back in with the team um, instead of doing minor league rehab assignments. Um, that's his deal. Does he come back anytime soon? Maybe in a couple of weeks, if I'm guessing, but The fact that he's still not taking left-handed swings is concerning to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that I kind of treat him along a similar track as DeGrom and maybe even uh, Noah Syndergaard in terms of like –
0: I have to interrupt you. Yes. Brandon Drury has taken the mound for the New York Mets as (laughs) we're we're recording this to pitch the ninth inning.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, the, the, I'll give the Mets credit for this. There are so many times this year where the Mets probably should have gone to a position player earlier and then they didn't. And now they're actually doing it, which is good. But like, you know, I, you know, what? it's what ESPN deserves. It's what they deserve. They don't deserve a good game. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh,
0: All right. I back to yeah. Back to the content.
1: Back to the content. Okay. Other injury updates. Uh, we don't really know anything about the course of action for hobby bias. Um, he's got back tightness or spasms, uh, you know, that I think occurred on a swing. They kept him out of the lineup and kind of weekend at bernie him for a couple of days before they retroactively put him on the injured list. Um we covered Drew Smith going to the IL with shoulder inflammation. That's a fun one because inflammation is like the exact word we heard when Sean Reveoli went on the injury list. We heard that one. list. We heard that when Joey Lucasi went on the injury list. Um, and then they all kind of hit the 60 at some point without really, Lucasi obviously a Tommy John because it was an elbow thing, but everything else is kind of, mute i think also negosic went on the injury list with inflammation after he pitched in like one game like it's just kind of it's a it's a good it's a real tight ship there uh, they're running with that yeah uh, they
0: keep having they keep having to overextend dudes and they keep yeah. getting like yeah dead shoulders well, they
1: threw well. no they threw jake reed for 46 pitches today that's like an actually like decent sidearm guy that you evidently claimed because you thought you could get something out of him and they made him go three innings like Like they learned nothing from what they did to Trevor Hildenberger. Like, you know, it just, whatever. I mean, I hope he turns out okay, but I also assume they're going to shelve him somewhere after this is over with. Um, Other guys, Noah Sindergaard, he last threw off the mound two days ago. Uh, Luis Rojas said he feels good. There still isn't a date set for when he's going to face live hitting. Uh, Jordan Yamamoto, on the other hand, he's been facing live hitters Um, that started this week. He's probably the pitcher who is closest to returning. Jacob DeGrom was shut down another two weeks. Uh, Nothing happened physically during any of his work back to warrant a shutdown per se. It was simply them doing their due diligence while checking the MRI and uh, finding from the results that he probably wasn't clear enough to begin throwing at, which probably speaks to how hurt he was before um, and also how I think cautiously you really need to handle him, especially the discussion has started to, I think so it's, it's started to mushroom a little bit in terms of how worth it, it is to get Jacob de back here for the postseason. I mean, the good thing is being shut down for two weeks in two weeks, the Mets could be like seven, eight games under 500 with the way they're going. And we would obviously shut him down at that point for good. But honestly, like if this if also be the
0: flip, back, it could it yeah. could theoretically be the flip side and they could, you know, rebound and play surprisingly well the rest of the stretch and find themselves in first place again. And who knows? Like, yeah, I think it's yeah, a reevaluating
1: mean, two weeks. You would work him back and you you'd take it seriously. But I also I don't know. I mean, I think for the team to actually get to that point where they're doing that well over two weeks, like they're going to need everyone who's currently in their pitching staff to be bringing it. And that's not to say they can't, I mean, like Rich Hill and Carlos Carrasco, I, I I'm more on the can't side than the can side, but like, you know, it's going to take like a full fledged effort. And at that point, if you're getting that much out of those guys, even then, like, do you risk re aggravating something for DeGrom? Because ultimately if he gets the rest of his time here and then in the offseason to rest, that's probably the best thing to ensure he's healthy in 2022. And I honestly like there are so many components of, like, so many facets of this season, injury wise and performance wise, that I never want to relive again. I think the roller coaster that has basically been going out of control since May uh, with the DeGrom injuries from the day to days to the short 10 day IL stint he had to what ended up happening in July. like I can't do that ever again. And at his age, he probably can't do that ever again either. Um, it, it, I really honestly would be fine if they tried to do what they could do this season without DeGrom. Um, that might get some pushback from people. I'm not saying you shut him down now. Like you obviously see what you can get out of him see how healthy he can be. But if things really, if in two weeks there isn't an actual overwhelming sign that points to him throwing again, shut him down. Like just, just honestly protect him because I promise you if you're at that point and the team isn't playing blisteringly well, there is no benefit to putting him on a mound in a game against like the Brewers with this team. No chance.
0: Yeah. I want to see him pitch again this year. But if they're not going to play in October, it's not worth it. I agree with you. Yeah. Um. Would love to see it. I enjoy watching him pitch very much. But, like, dude's just not – it doesn't seem like his body's responding particularly well to the rest. Um. They say it's getting better, but who knows how better that actually means. Like, mm-hmm. they could know full well already that two weeks probably isn't – it might not even be enough at this point of, of additional rest. So, I – I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know. I I hate to keep saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But like. We don't. They're in such a state of like, just like merciful superfluousness. If that even, I don't even think that makes sense. They're in like this giant gray area right now where.
1: Purgatory.
0: Yeah, exactly. They they're they could you know, clear the clear the fog and play well and still make the playoffs or they could continue on this downward trajectory and completely whiff and miss the playoffs and finish over, under 500. Like that both are very much within the realm of possibility. Obviously, one is contingent on a complete turnaround offensively and getting some more depth uh, uh, length out of your starting pitchers mm-hmm. the other a little more likely to happen probably i think it's more likely they continue to play pat you know badly especially 10 more games in this stretch um it could theoretically be eight games under 500 when we you know this look up like, in a week and a half
1: yeah is i'm trying to think of the last time the mets played a team that was like this good um
0: i don't want to say they haven't we- this season I don't want
1: to season. say the Brewers, because in July, that team was very different from what they've been doing right now. And like, the
0: Mets took two out of three from them. And the Mets also took four out of seven from the Padres. So like, I would
1: say the Padres two months ago was the only other team that compares to this that they played well against. But that was also two months ago, and that was a reasonably different roster that the Mets had. Um, they're not putting it together, this group, against good teams. Like, they couldn't even do it against the Phillies. Like, I, I really – I don't want to count them out, but it's just the writing is on the wall at this point. You have just over a month of baseball left, you know, and it's it's not going to rain in California. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to avoid those games. You're not getting that stuff, you know, postponed or whatever. Like you have to go in there and take what you what you get. And I mean, just knowing that, honestly, I think the most, like, the probably the most likely thing that's going to happen, because us suffering has been the one constant this year, is that they'll probably, is it nine games or ten games that they have? Is it a three, three, and three, or a three, three, and a four? It's
0: three, four, and three.
1: Three, four, and three. Then they'll go, like, you know what they'll do? They'll go, like, They'll probably go like either 4 and 6 or 5 and 5 and neither the Phillies or Braves will like run away with anything. I think that's the most likely thing that'll happen.
0: Yeah, that's, that's the other really what it's been every
1: time. It's like they can't let us actually make a decision as fans to walk away. They that's have to the, keep us hanging.
0: That's the other thing is that the, the damn Braves keep winning games. Yeah. I was they also always the Nationals. That's
1: that's the one positive I'm trying to take from that is like the Nationals suck. They're really, 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 really
0: bad. bad. I've been trying to, like, I, I've always been more afraid. This entire season, I was always more afraid of the Braves than the Phillies. And, like, I would put the Mets and the Phillies on pretty even ground right now because even just looking at how, like, both teams lost two of three to the Reds in uh, in their home ballpark. So, like, I put them on pretty similar ground terms of mediocrity, Um, the Braves got Travis Darno back. They added some decent depth pieces at the deadline. Still not good by any means. I still don't think they're all that good. You know, without Acuna, um, without Soroka, still don't think they're great. But they're certainly, I think, in a better position than both the Mets and the Phillies. And then you add in the fact that both the Phillies and the Braves have considerably easier schedules than the Mets. The Mets have these 10 games. The Mets have uh, another series on tap against the Yankees, and the Yankees are playing much, much, much better baseball than they were the last time they saw them. Uh, The Mets still have a a series against the Brewers. Mm -hmm. The Mets still have –
1: against the Red Sox. They got two games there right at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, they got two games at the Fens. Um, What am I missing? Because there's other tough stuff on the Mets' schedule. I know that um they have a lot of games peppered so the thing is i'm looking at it now
1: the games that they're playing against good teams they're very good teams pretty much everything else is marlins nationals except for one series with the, the cardinals one with the phillies three with the marlins at the end of the year and then the final series of the year is against the braves it's in atlanta so they have they have like I mean, the thing, though, is that they look kind of bad against the Marlins last time they played them. So, oh, yeah, you know, like the Marlins aren't a sure thing. I think the Nationals maybe are a better guarantee uh, than the Marlins in terms of winning and gaining ground. But, yeah, they have a very hard schedule. The Phillies and Braves do not have to deal with that many. I mean, let's see. That's three, four, five, six different series coming up against teams that I would say are better than the Mets, and I think it's pretty indisputable that those teams are better than the Mets, right? The the Giants, the Dodgers, the Brewers, these are all teams that have a – I mean, except for the Yankees, all these teams will be in the playoffs.
0: They're all teams that have 25, 30 games over 500, the the NL teams, the Brewers, the Giants, and the Cubs – not the Cubs, excuse me, the Giants and the Dodgers.
1: Not the Cubs, dude. Not the The
0: Cubs. Cubs. Oh, by the way, Kevin Pillar is pitching now too. He is. Yeah, Drury got two outs, gave up a two-run homer to Matt Beatty, and they relieved them.
1: Does Kevin Pillar really need to be here?
0: I hope not. I hope they come I mean, to their senses about him. I don't know; he's been awful.
1: You'll get to a point, I think, if this team is dead enough, they're not gonna just—they're just not gonna cut people. They're gonna make everyone like go through that last month and have you know good times together and whatnot. Which I, you know, I I understand, I guess, because at that point, it's not like winning means anything, but. Yeah, he has like eight hits the entire second half of the season. He's been horrible.
0: Like... Really bad.
1: Yeah. um, Trying to think of other things going on. I mean, we keep talking players. I think there's also a question of what this team does with Rojas going forward. I don't think they fire him. I don't necessarily think they should fire him. Like Again, I would like to see because like that lineup card tells me that there's somebody in that front office that still shouldn't be there. Whoever is in charge. Like there are some holes like that, that deadline was so appallingly bad. Like we can talk about the games that Rojas has blown to this point. Like everybody upstairs hung him out to dry, not only at that deadline, but in, in the weeks preceding it with the pitchers, they made him work with um, I think that I still would like to see what he does um, with like I think better tools even if he blows some games I think that it's not something that will stop this team from winning when it matters and I think the players like him enough that he should stick around but I also am not at all going to uh, defend him from critics because pretty much every time he's been criticized for something it's like it's it's a pretty fair criticism whether it's
0: um. Unless it's me criticizing him using Edwin Diaz in a low leverage situation because I got blasted on Twitter for that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, no, okay. Um, I think it takes a very specific circumstance for Rojas to get fired. I think if the Mets miss the playoffs and um, there's a new president of baseball operations brought in, I think that's the situation because they miss the playoffs. First of all, that's the excuse to get rid of him. And if they bring in a new Pobo, Usually those guys want their own dude in the dugout. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as, you know, given that they would have that excuse of, oh, they missed the playoffs, uh, think that's your, that your scenario. Yeah. If they make the playoffs, I think his job is safe. Because if they make the playoffs, I think there's a pretty darn good chance he's up for consideration of manager of the year, and you're just not going to fire that dude. Uh, the, yeah,
1: you're not the Marlins. Do you remember when they did that, by the way, were you, you're are you too young for that? When was that? That this was like two thousand six when Joe Girardi won Manager of the Year and Jeffrey Loria fired him. And I mean that's
0: extremely Freddie Marlins. Freddie Gonzalez. That's yeah. just extremely Marlins. Uh, they
1: could. They could. Well, I don't know. I, I'm I am not aware of that having happened. I've been very mad at Steve Cohen. I can't go so far as to compare him to Jeffrey Loria yet. Um,
0: they do both like their
1: art. They like their art. Uh, one likes to tweet a little more than the other. Uh, I really don't see how sustainable that aspect of his care of his persona is, but this is like, I'm so over the Steve Cohen, the Uncle Stevie discourse. Like, get get a job, guys. Yeah, like, he's
0: done. He's done absolutely nothing to earn our trust. Like in year one, besides not being named Will Pon, just the defense. The first of all, you, you mentioned it earlier in part one that like the needless optimism where there's nothing to be optimistic about is so grading yeah it's so frustrating this yeah. team stinks they're mediocre it's, it's, as hell it's right
1: some positivity I'm getting gaslit by my owner and other fans to like not be upset it's like
0: why they they're are the worst the, offensive team in baseball they before they have the, the worst offensive team in baseball and their most important pieces are, are hurt and they have they're, they have a rotation filled with third starters and Rich Hill and a rookie. Rich like, Hill's
1: terrible, by the way. He's haven't really gotten to that yet. I he, was so like happy about that that acquisition because he's like Dick Mountain. He's the playoff guy. I don't know what happened to him. I guess he's like never a one should
0: never, player. ever, ever face a lineup like the second time through. He
1: he's 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 really bad. He he should be a nine
0: out guy seven, and, that's and he like doesn't
1: it. know where it's going. And the curveball is never thrown for a strike. It's never thrown like a pitch you should swing at. I don't sorry, I'm not doing Rich Hill discourse either. Not doing Uncle Stevie discourse. I'm not doing Rich Hill discourse.
0: But do you do you think that Conforto should take the qualifying offer? Um that's the joke. That's a joke.
1: I think I think he well, I mean it's a good question because I was doing a joke. I think the Mets will give him the QO. And I I was (laughs) I was doing a joke. No, but I mean it's we a, don't it's
0: actually fun. have I actually really don't want to discourse Conforto either. That's fine. <laughs> I'm so Conforto discoursed out. Um but I mean him playing better recently, he, I think all but guarantees he's gonna get the QO anyways. Regardless, I'm not doing Conforto. I'm not doing you're not doing Rich I'm not doing Conforto.
1: Yeah. Uh now we're at the ledge, saying we won't and and will and won't and will. It's it's this is what happens when the team sucks.
0: We only sickos, only sickos do Rich Hill and Michael Conforto discourse and word. Ha ha ha! Yes, yes, yeah. sickos. Yes. Uh, at least with Rich Hill, it's like we get like Jeff McNeil but old, on and on the mound oh, yeah, because he's just, just yelling and grunting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he really also he has like the Blake Snell like look of death on his face after throwing like 10 pitches.
0: But he's also so it's I'll give him credit for this. It's entertaining watching him pitch because like when a mistake happens behind him, he gives like the most passive aggressive eye roll looks. It's yeah. it's actually really funny like when Dom missed that when he started the um suspended game. Yeah and gave up the, uh, like a leadoff triple or whatever to Victor Robles that like Dom should have caught. They like did the little camera zoom in thing on his face that yeah. they showed. And he was like, threw his hands up and like rolled his eyes and I was like living for it. It was really funny. Uh, and he like yells the F word a bunch. Like Jeff does after Jeff pops up first pitch changeups that are right down the middle constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like a thing he's really fond of doing now. Um, So on one hand, I enjoy the constant F-word yelling. Uh, On the other hand, dude's like 73 years old and throws 84 miles an hour and isn't really capable of getting major league hitters out at a high rate. He should just be a long man at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And to think that he's the best starting pitcher that we acquired in the month of July, no offense to Trevor Williams, who actually, honestly, Trevor Williams might be better. Uh, yeah. jesus it's uh they really did botch that deadline huh
1: yeah it's i mean it's something where honestly i think they need a new president of baseball operations more than they need the new manager and that's not excusing rojas at all it's literally just like get you know what you should do get somebody who will fire your hitting coach before the season starts because that's another thing that we didn't really hit on as something that screwed this team up but like As soon as you do that with an offense, you've thrown out the game plan for the year and you've installed one that the players haven't brushed up on or studied on. Like,
0: yeah, can we just hand can we hand a blank check to some 45 year old smart dude with good morals? I know they exist. Well, you know, we
1: should do we should just I mean, like pick a guy like look at all the hit like Jeremy Reed is coaching with the Angels. Like just pick a guy.
0: Oh, I meant I meant pobo but yes also like
1: oh oh i meant hitting coach but yeah i'm
0: like like how if you offered eric neander 10 million dollars he'd come do your stuff man like please like just anybody like get sandy alderson out of the front office get a guy that steve cohen can just like hand the reins to and work alongside zach scott as the gm scott's a smart guy I just think he doesn't have enough, enough say, I think he has plenty of say, but I think Sandy's tenants of how to run a front office are still extremely present. And that is not a good thing because it is 2021 Sandy Alderson runs a front office. Like it's 1990 and like, it's like Sun Tzu's art of war.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, honestly, that's a, That's a real good analogy because it is one of those things where like and it's not like a pejorative thing where it's like, oh, like you're stuck in 1990. You're old school. Like he's not old school. He's just no longer the smartest
0: GM in the game. In fact, he's probably he's been lapped more times than I can count. Like he I think he's still a smart guy. I just think it's a young man's game now. Everything has changed so much since when he got into baseball. Everything's changed so much since when he got out of baseball, when the Mets kind of, you know, shoot him off Mm -hmm. uh, because of his whole cancer treatment thing, which was real great on their part, by the way. Uh, Like, and that's only been, what, four or five years? Like, if that even. What was that, 2018? 2018. Yeah, That was mid 2018. That was a terrible season. That Front was like, offices have changed you know, so that much was, since that then. Was the
1: middle of June. That was that month that they lost like 25 out of 30 games, and they were like playing Jose Reyes every day, and like,
0: like. Ooh, by the way, was at the Saturday oh, night? Oh yeah, he
1: was. We didn't even get to that. That was that was gross. That was. <sighs> I had was to really
0: just crazy. I had to just sit yeah. there. By the way, the Mets and Dodgers have gone final 14 to four. Your final, it's a sweep. Uh, I had to just sit there while like. 38,000 fans gave Jose Reyes like a standing ovation and just like are you joke like they did a little clip package montage for him on the big screen I the was like ready like to vomit
1: man like him already they don't need the thing like no one else needs yeah. to see it it's he, he he's not a good guy
0: my dad was like kind of giving me crap about it I know my dad's listening here so he was kind of giving me a little bit of a a shiz about it and, and saying you know well didn't, didn't he do everything that was asked of him? And hasn't he, you know, isn't it possible that he's changed? He's a better person now. And I'm like, yeah, it's certainly possible, but there's no reason for us to celebrate him. Doing
1: everything that major league baseball, major league baseball asks you to do it's to make sure that you won't put women in harm's way again is so below bare minimum, by the way, like that's something that like, I guess, if you're not terminally like studying this stuff like we are it's hard to pick up but like he didn't even donate anything he didn't even like he didn't even volunteer anywhere he had no he served a suspension that's what that's all he did and the court
0: mandated like anger management play
1: baseball for 80 games that's that's what he did that's not a i haven't played baseball for how many games more
0: than that (laughs) But, right. Yeah, he did where's his my, like
1: where is my credit? I mean come on. Come on. Come on Dr. Lebowitz. Where's where where's where's my ovation?
0: He did his little court mandated anger management sessions and apologized to his wife. So it's all good. But okay, <laughs> want to make it clear, we're not yeah. you know, it is possible for people to change, absolutely possible. People can be pieces of shit and then change and no longer be pieces of shit. Um but just because they may have changed doesn't mean we have to prop them up as legends of the uh organization legends of the team give them you know standing ovations and clip montages doesn't mean we have to welcome them and sit them behind home plate and and cheer for them like they're david wright uh because they're very different it's very like people can change people can change Uh, but you know the vast majority of humans on earth who are aware of jose reyes's existence do not know him personally and therefore cannot make inferences on whether he has changed or not all we know is that he did this one thing that was likely not an isolated incident uh and because of that real not good guy um based on that one thing and by propping him up on the big screen giving him a standing ovation you are celebrating a known domestic abuser uh so maybe let's not do that because it's a it's a, to- it's a bad look it's a bad look
1: it's a bad look would it
0: be what, i mean are the blue jays gonna like welcome back roberto excuse me roberto alomar in like four years and uh give him a standing ovation just because he's a hall of famer probably shouldn't do that either
1: I wonder if there will be any welcome wagon for Omar Vizcal. This is the part of the podcast where we basically remind you that like every one of your favorite baseball players is actually just a a repulsive person, but.
0: Or at least might be, who knows? I certainly don't, but a good good few of them probably are. Yeah, it's
1: pretty bad. Um, Should we just remember some guys? Yeah. Okay. Um, Would you care to go first?
0: Would you like me to go first? Uh, Mine's kind of a doozy, I think.
1: All right. I'll do mine. I'll do mine. Um, I mean, mine's mine's not so much. I actually like mine because I was talking about guys earlier with hitting coaches. Uh, I, this guy wasn't necessarily a good hitter, but, uh, that's not what it's about when you're putting together hitting coaches. This was someone that like, I think a lot of people in the Met clubhouse, like just really liked having around and he's been active on Twitter. Uh, the, He's been active on Twitter and he was active on Twitter when Zach Wheeler tossed that, uh, that complete game shutout against us, yep. um uh, on Sunday. Very active. In fact, uh, ripped a quote out of, uh, his old GM's playbook. This is Devin Masarocco. I'm talking
0: yep. about. Yup. Um, yup.
1: Yup. In case you don't know the story about Devin Masarocco, uh, I'll, I'll give this as concisely as I can. Uh, He was acquired. He's a catcher, played for the Reds, used to be a top prospect. The Mets got him when they traded away Matt Harvey. He came in and basically became a personal catcher to Jacob deGrom and also Zach Wheeler. Uh, And he wasn't like a great hitter, wasn't even like a great framer, but these guys loved working with him. And um, it actually earned him a minor league contract the following uh, year to play again for the Mets there was evidently an under the table agreement of some kind where the Mets told him because they didn't really have a backup behind Wilson Ramos at the time. Like they had Ramos. They weren't sure how healthy Darno was. Um, they had Tomas Nito, but he hadn't really secured a backup spot yet. And then they had like, I don't even think they had Renee Rivera yet. Right. But what they basically probably told him was if Travis Darno is not healthy. You become the backup catcher. Um, because what happened when the Mets chose Tomas Nito over him when Darno wasn't healthy was Mesoraco refused his outright assignments in the minor leagues. Uh, and the Mets front office, spearheaded by Brody, told him, you can't do that. Uh, it's not in your contract. He said, well, I'm not reporting. I'm going to retire or you'll have to release me, but I'm not playing. And the Mets were like, bet, you can just stay there then and, and you can retire. And they basically ended his career by doing that, by not letting him go free um, and letting him play somewhere where they'd give him a chance after they nickel and dimed him and lied to him. Uh, Devin Masarocco at the age of 30 was out of baseball um, or at least out of Met uniform and didn't end up going anywhere else because the Mets didn't let him go anywhere else, uh, which is kind of sad, but I'm glad he had his fun on Sunday because uh, I forget about that guy. Yeah, he's not a very uh, concise story, but that was my story.
0: Yeah, he's coaching with the University of Pittsburgh now. Go Panthers! Yeah. Go ACC baseball. Uh, Love Devin
1: Mezzarocco.
0: So good for him. Glad he's uh, on his feet and staying in, involved in baseball. But yeah, the Mets did him real dirty, and he every every so often will remind us just how poorly he was treated by this organization on the way out. I hope, um, I mean, speaking I got, of I hope guys, speaking of guys who were treated poorly by this organization on the way out, I'm return. I'm I'm going to remember a little uh, infielder that the Mets had in the early 2010s who he had a knack for clutch hitting
1: sort of, you know, he, he seemed to you're not, you're not doing this. You're not doing this to me. You're not
0: doing this. He seemed to get hits with men in scoring position and, and he could play a few inf- infield positions, shortstop, if you really needed him to, but wasn't a lot of punch in that bat, you know, and he seemed to have some off the field issues that the organization didn't really like. You can. he had this stop. bright, he this bright orange hair. You. I'm remembering Justin Turner, but I'm remembering the Met Justin Turner because it seems like people forget every time the Mets play the Dodgers, especially people who do, you know, the TV broadcasts, like Matt Peskersion was on Sunday night Um, that, you know, Turner, oh, he was the one that the Mets let, let get away. Justin Turner in three full seasons for the Mets as a bench piece. So, you know, his stat lines weren't 600 at bats or whatever, but. Um, he spent parts of three seasons with the Mets, in which he accrued multi, you know a good chunk of at bats. Hit an OPS under 700. He had a, an OPS plus under 100, so under, below average. Um, did not hit for any power. Uh, so when you say it's just frustrating, because there's this narrative that the Mets let a, a guy get away who eight years later is a perennial All Star and World Champion, and a guy who has whatever the number is, 330 extra base hits since the Mets let him go. Mm -hmm. Um, It's frustrating because he wasn't going to be that guy here ever.
1: I agree. I also think, and I think you agree on this, but I'm just going to let people know so that they don't think that we're like shills or whatever. Like the fact that he could not be that guy as a Met is an indictment of the Mets.
0: Oh yes, for sure. Like,
1: Like, it's, it's the, they still let him get away. They let somebody with that kind of potential get away. Um, They also had no interest in making him into that guy, which is like, it's, you know, they preferred their light hitting, uh, not even very slick fielding shortstops. Like they basically chose Ruben Tejada over him, which amazing. Well, it was
0: apparently some stuff about him off the field that the Willpons didn't like. He had like a, he liked partying and had a habit of, you know, going out after games and partying and they didn't like that. And so when the non tender cuts came around, he, you know, he was a 50, 50 and, and the Willpons said, cut him. We don't want him or, or something to that effect. And um, he felt obviously slighted and, that offseason happened to be the same offseason. He started working with a swing coach that he, you know, he really, really liked. I think the same swing coach who kind of fixed JD Martinez too, if I'm not mistaken. You no, know,
1: it was that coach also like, now that now it's coming to me a little bit, that coach also like worked with Marlon Bird.
0: Yeah, but wasn't That's that him. coach, I, I think, wasn't that coach recommended to him by the Dodgers who signed him to like a minor league contract after he was non-tendered?
1: That was a coach who, like other Mets would work with on the side and owners did not like that. That was probably part of why they didn't like Turner was because instead of working with Dave Hudgens, he was working, you know, and getting pointers from another guy, like part of why they got Marlon bird out of there so quickly, even though other players really liked him was because he was not following what the team had, had, had cut out for him. And I guess because bird was like a veteran, it was okay, but.
0: Well, uh, this, this, current roster knows a thing or two about not following the Mets regimens or something. Apparently according to Zach Scott, uh, it was like a, a, a real perfect divorce. Yeah. You see like when there's a really good situation for a player in a team, it's the perfect marriage. You know, it really makes sense. This was, this was a divorce waiting to happen. Uh, it was not a good relationship between the front office and the player. Um, don't even get me started on his love of cream pies. Uh, <laughs> you familiar people, with
1: that? people who don't know the Mets ins and outs on Twitter are going to be very very confused there was who made who said that comment someone it was somebody who like took over the Mets Twitter account to answer questions I can't remember who that person was
0: but it was uh because Turner was the guy who after a walk-off would do the pie in the face thing which baseball doesn't do anymore that's a lost art um yeah. Didn't he break his hand once doing it, or some guy broke his hand once doing it?
1: Chris Coglin, like like tore uh his Achilles, like running after someone with a pie. I think.
0: I think Justin Turner may have like hurt his hand smashing a pie into someone's face. I could be, I think someone it might not have been Turner, but someone tweeted from the account something about how you know he's a big part of the roster. This was like 2012, it's a huge part of the team because uh he gives the best cream pies. <laughs> i am marking this episode as explicit uh <laughs> yeah yeah so it's just um uh whew. yeah good place to kind episode of wrap things 49, up
1: 49 colon he gives the best cream pies that's the
0: title <laughs> we uh you know to wrap things up on my turner remembrance dude was not good as a met The Mets wanted him out of town for, you know, beyond just his on-field play. Uh, He was not in a good situation here. He was not going to be a good player here. And part of the reason why even these many years later, he's still making comments before a series against the Mets saying, yeah, of course I want to play good against these guys. I always have a chip on my shoulder when I play these guys. Like it always feels good to play well against these guys. You always want to come in and play well against your former team or the team that cut you, let them know that they, they let you get away the reason he's still making comments like that eight years later is because he was slighted. He was kicked in the ass on the way out. Yep. So if it was a normal non-tender situation where it actually, like, I don't know, man, like if they non-tender Albert Almora and like, he goes and becomes a regular center fielder with like the A's next year, it's different. Then it's like, Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's actually the same thing. I don't care. But cream pies, good place to wrap it up. Yes. Okay. So we will. uh, Covered a lot of ground, even though we were kind of sad and depressed and didn't have like a ton of things that we like really wanted to hit on today. But Mets got swept by the Dodgers. They got a series against the Giants uh, starting Monday night in San Francisco. Then they play four in LA over the, the following weekend. And then they come home to play the Giants once again. Uh, thanks for thanks for listening. To episode forty nine. Um, he's Jack Hendon. I'm Sam Lebowitz. Mets fans have a plus. Good evening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.